0: Hi guys, and welcome back to the Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Sam,
1: and I'm Haley.
0: And this week we have a very special guest. I never thought that I would be interviewing a lawyer that's younger than me because I always, you know, I felt like we just graduated law school and <laughs> I was always like the youngest one. The but baby. guys, yeah, we literally met Imani. Her name is Imani Matuka, and she is. Awesome. She is a lawyer in Dallas. Uh, she works at Sidley Austin, which, if you guys know anything about AML 100s, look it up. You'll see. It's an amazing firm. Um, yeah. And she shares just, you know, her experience being a first, well, she's not a first gen lawyer, but she's a Gen Z lawyer. And yes. um, she talks a lot about her experience at her firm and she's in big law and she kind of had a different experience than the typical experience that you kind of hear about big law like yeah. often. So I thought it was a really great conversation.
1: Absolutely. She has a lot of great insights to share. So without further ado, let's dive in and talk to Amani.
0: Help us welcome our guest, Imani Maatuka. Hi, Imani. How are you?
2: Hi, Samantha. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. And you are located in Dallas. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how is? Uh, I know Haley's in Dallas too. How is the weather? I know that's a stupid question, but like oh, wow. I'm always wondering.
2: Haley, really? I didn't know you were in Dallas, but um, yeah, I'm. So I'm located in Dallas, but I'm actually right now in Bel Air. Los Angeles, visiting my boyfriend's family, so I I have no idea, but I know when I left um, Friday at like five in the morning, it was freezing cold, so I'm assuming same thing's happening over there.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is definitely a little chilly. Um, Nothing as in comparison to Oklahoma City cold. I mean, and of course, you know, I'm sure as you go north, I'm a southerner, so I wouldn't know what it's like to be really cold, but it is definitely winter time. Yeah. But yes, we, we're Dallas girls, so we've got to hang out after this.
0: Yeah, totally. All right. So why don't we start at the very beginning? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump into your law school journey.
2: So my name is Imani Malatuka. I'm currently a commercial litigator at Sidney Austin LLP in their Dallas office. Um, born and raised in Champaign, Illinois, actually. So I am a Northerner. Um, Haley. So I'm kind of used mm-hmm. to this code now. I, I love getting my four seasons in. Um, yeah. Born and raised in Champaign, Illinois. Then I wanted the HBCU experience. So for undergrad, I went to the largest public HBCU in the country, North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. Um, I ended up graduating there in three years. Knew I always wanted to go to law school. I come from a family of attorneys. And so I did my three years at AT and And then I did my next three years at WashU U Law in St. Louis. So I've kind of been jumping all over the map
0: here. So what made you want to go to St. Louis?
2: Well, so like I said before, um, I come from a family of attorneys and my mom is a practicing attorney in Champaign, Illinois, actually. So when I was in North Carolina the entire time, she was like, okay, for law school, I just know you're going to come back closer. You're going to come back closer. <laughs> so like my top three in that vicinity was Wash U, U, Chicago, and Northwestern. So I was trying to just get closer to home so it was easier to visit my family and my parents.
1: Those are also top law schools. So I want to know, you know, did you have really stellar grades? Did you crush the LSAT? How did you manage to get such a good uh, opportunity and pool to pick from?
2: Yeah. So combination of both. I graduated number one in my class, actually, with a 4.0. So I know... Like I said, come from a family of attorneys. So my mom was an attorney, my aunt is an attorney, my uncle, my godfather. So I kind of got like the spiel from everyone probably 10 times over like, okay, go to undergrad, major in something that you're passionate about or something you're really good at, get a really high GPA, yeah. take the LSAT, you're going to take a prep class um, to get you ready for it. And then you're applying to the top 20 law schools because you need to go to a really good law school to get a really good firm job. Like that was like the path everyone had kind of laid out for me. And so when I got oh. to undergrad, it was kind of just about executing that plan. Um, yeah And so of course first that started with doing exceptionally well so that you know entry into these prestigious um, institutions wasn't an issue.
0: Um, so did you apply to like all top 20 or did you yeah. like how did you go about your application cycle?
2: No, I didn't apply to all of them. Um I definitely had some safety schools and some reach schools. Like I said, I think like U Chicago is probably like my reach. And I got waitlisted at U Chicago. Um Northwestern had me come in for an interview, then they were like, we want you to do another interview. And I was like doing that process kind of like parallel to my Wash U and Wash U Mm -hmm. did the interview. And then like two weeks later, they offered me a full ride. So then I just like, I like withdrew all my applications. I was like, I'm done with this. Um, But like outside of those, because that is amazing. Yeah. Outside of those, because those are like top 20s. I think I like applied to Stanford. I applied to the U of I because I knew – like, that was my safety. My mom went to the U of I yeah. for law school, and my my dad went there to get his MBA. So I was like, no matter what, like, I'm in the line so <laughs> And I feel yeah. like it was only like six or seven, and I'm trying to remember – I think I might've done Berkeley, but I remember like Berkeley had like the most essays out of any school I applied to and like, they wanted like five, like I really want to do this. No, literally. (laughs) I don't even think I finished my application there. Like I I was like, I'm not writing 20 essays right now. So sorry. Um, And then everything happened so quickly because I think the best piece of advice I got, which I like tell everyone who I have the pleasure of mentoring now. The best piece of advice I got was like, you need to apply early, you know, like if you already know what your target schools Mm -hmm. are, get those applications in as soon as possible because you want to hit up the school when they have the most money, you know, like people get in late, of course, but then they're upset because it's like, you know, we ran out of scholarship funds because you didn't even apply until January, you know, we had given up half of Mm -hmm. that pool of money that we set aside. So yeah. That's great advice. Yeah, yeah that's great bit. advice for, that too. for two
0: girls that definitely applied late in the cycle. We learned the hard way. Yes. <laughs> okay, so once you get to law school, um, like, how was your first year? You know, like, so I know you grew up in a family of lawyers, so did you kind of know what to expect, or, you know, was yeah. it different than what you had expected?
2: Um, I'm going to tell my mom to like cover her ears, but it was not what I expected <laughs> because I was talking to people who went to law school like 20, 30 years ago. You know what I mean? Like when they went to law school, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. didn't have computers. Like the library was yeah. like, instead of just a cute study place, like that's, that's what the library is to be. That like they were like, doing legal research in the library. So like yeah. totally that was different. night and totally day. <laughs> and I was like, so like the things that would tell me like, oh, you know, you should really use these types of books. Like, they just had no, like, pragmatic, like, advice for me. But, of course, like, the general, like, legal theory and this is, like, what cold calling is and um, this is how you kind of brief a case, like, stuff like that, of course, they had great insight for. But, like, the actual every day that goes into being a good law student in 2018, that was the my fall semester, 2018, Mm-hmm. totally impractical. <laughs> but um yeah, so I I had them and the first year was crazy. I mean, you have to think. So the other thing that was going for me was not only did I like graduate with great grades, um at a pretty decent LSAT score, but I was applying to law schools when I was 19 years old I graduated undergrad at 20 years old so I got to law school like a baby like I couldn't even legally drink I remember the mm-hmm. dean like watching me at certain events like um <laughs> that girl because that girl, you know every single law school event it's like a ton of liquor you know like that's kind of like our thing unfortunately mm-hmm. um, but I just remember like feeling like out of place in some way you know like being the baby out of the bunch um feeling like you're kind of like just peeking into your twenties and you're doing something that's such kind of like a big girl thing um, and not yeah. very conventional. You know, most people take a few, if not a really big gap, um, get some experience, do something else, find themselves, see, do the things they love before they go into this career. Um, but I took the unconventional route and went um, straight through at a very young age. So but the first year, I mean, I loved it. So outside of all those obstacles and outside of like the first year, just generally sucking because it's your first year of law school, um, I met, you know, friends that I'll have for the rest of my life. Um, I I learned things and made relationships with people who have poured into my career and continue to pour into my career. Um, so, yeah, I, I loved it. Let's talk oh, into those obstacles. Oh, yeah. Sorry.
0: No, I was literally yeah. going to say the same thing. I was like, let's talk about the obstacles a little bit.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, hindsight, you know, or bird's eye view, right? Looking at that, I'm sure people think, oh my gosh, she has it all together. She's this young savant, like here in law school, she can't even drink. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking about what I was doing when I was 19 and 20 years old and like, it was a lot of drinking. So, you know what I mean? Um, don't pretend like you didn't hear that anybody, but it, you know, it's very different than what you were doing. So I feel like some people, you know, are going to be like, whoa, that's crazy. But talk to us about that growing up that you talked about. I feel like there's a lot of growing up that happens in law school and to be 20 years old going through that. What is that like? And, how I mean, to, and what's your off, advice
2: to everyone, you know, looking yeah. back? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, it was hard, you know, like, base level, it was ridiculously hard. I mean, I think what we tell everyone, and I know you guys got this speech in law school, like, everyone tells you to put on those blinders, you know, like, don't pay attention Mm -hmm. to what other people are doing. You know, it's kind of like the struggle Olympics in law school, where people will be like, Oh, my God, I haven't slept in weeks. And I stayed up all night reading all these cases. Like, first off, you're lying. Second of all, like, I don't care about Mm -hmm. that. And that doesn't impress me whatsoever. But of course, like, we all get that pit in our stomach, like, am I doing enough? Am I enough? Um, And I think that's compounded by, like, you're going through that kind of, like, out-of-body experience that is law school. But for me, personally, it was, like, watching some of my closest friends, my best friends, just living, like, this hot girl lifestyle and loving, like, loving life and, like, taking these chances and just doing these things that I knew were going to, like, build them up as a person, as a woman. And, like, I would just... Almost have the sense of jealousy watching them, you know, because it was like, you're, you, to me, you look like you're at like the peak of life. Like to me, crying every night and going into the library and waking up for 8 a.m., you know, like that was not yeah. <laughs> like peak living to me. And so I think one of the hardest things was like telling myself and reaffirming with myself that I am on the right path, I'm taking the right course. What everyone else does, does that's your prerogative and that's like what you need to do to be successful or whatever your idea of success might be. But for me, my path looked different. And like, to your point, Haley, about what would I recommend to people? I mean, I don't even think watching my maturation process, the path I took, I don't think anyone needs to look at that and be like, I need to do these things to be successful. I need to do these things to get into the law, law, um, to get at a firm like Sibley. Like, I think we all have our own paths to success. And I think the thing that you need to do is sit down with yourself, be real with yourself, figure out what you value, figure out what you're willing to put up with and willing to do, and then take the path that makes the most sense for your life. I think the biggest mistake people do is you watch other people and you fill with that jealousy, you fill with that imposter syndrome, and then you're trying to like live the life of another person rather than your own. We'll be right back.
0: Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers audible.
1: Yes. Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries.
0: And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime.
1: Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it?
0: Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go.
1: And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management.
0: What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing.
1: So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer.
2: No,
0: I I think that's great advice, especially because in law school, you know, they kind of push like this lifestyle on you and all the things. I feel like they try to control everything. So just having a clear vision of like what you personally want, I feel like is a great way to go about it. Because I know like when we were one L's and two L's, like there is the comparison, you know, like, oh, we didn't get an interview or well, like we didn't make it to OCI or something like that. Like, but it's not a big deal, you Mm -hmm. know?
2: Absolutely. And whatever's for you is for you. I mean, I tell people that all the Mm -hmm. time. Like if you're not at X whatever firm, like that firm wasn't for you. That firm didn't have the people that were going to really invest in you, pour into you. You know what I mean? Like wherever you ended up, like those are the people who wanted you. Those are the people who value and care about you. And that's where you want to be at. Such good advice. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Like
0: Someone's gonna hear that and be like, "Okay, I'm good." I needed to hear that. Yeah, I needed to hear that.
2: Right now, you know, they're going through the OCI process. It's so funny Mm -hmm. to me. Um, I loved WashU so much. I sent my baby brother there, so he's a two L at WashU now. And so, like, I feel like close to like the law school experience still, just because he's like going through it right now. And we were just, like, having this conversation, not about him. He's kind of, like, locked down his firm job and all that since 1L. But, like, just, like, some of his friends, like, having that sense of unsurety and, like, just stressing out because other people are getting the callbacks right now. And other people, you know, got their dream firm or whatever. And it's just, like, nothing to stress about.
0: Yeah, and there's time for everything. Like everything usually happens for a reason and works out like it's supposed to. And we love saying that every time. Like delayed gratification, everything happens for a reason. Like
1: we're experiencing that right now. Yes.
0: Listen to yourself. Do what you want to do. Love it.
1: Love that. Yes. Okay. I want to know how law school, your grade, you don't have to tell us your grades, obviously, but you, you know, you, what were some of your struggles and some of your accomplishments? I mean, how did you get your firm job? Was it through OCI? Did you do OCI? You know, tell us about that side of law school.
2: Yeah. So one, I think my law school experience has like an asterisk by it because of course I started in 2018 class of 2021. So like there's a big bubble in there and it's called COVID in my law school, like matriculation process. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so I, I, I think that. like when I tell people about it, like you have to put that asterisk there because it's very unusual. I don't think I nearly have it as mm-hmm. bad as like class of 2022 or even class of 2023 that was entering during COVID. But of course, like my entire law school process was like affected by COVID. I think like yeah. the only normal year I had was one elf. Which is so weird because 1L is, like, the most abnormal year. Like, it is, like, the worst year ever. Um, But anyway, so, yeah. I mean, I think my OCI job process was pretty conventional. You know, a lot of firms don't have, like, the normal OCI process for 1Ls, you know, like, because their 1L pool is usually so small. Um, So instead of, like, most classes are, like, full of 2Ls, so you might have, like, 20 spots at the bigger offices, you know, 10 to 20 spots for your two L class. And then maybe like one or two for, um, the one else, because you don't know anything like in, you shouldn't even yeah. be here. So anyways, but <laughs> in the first year, Literally. I had some really amazing mentors, like two L's and three L's who just poured into me, grabbed me by the arm. And they were like, I've got you, which totally made me like, just love like that entire experience even more, um, forever indebted to them. But one of the things they said to me was like, Imani, like, I know you've been hearing the news about all these firms moving to Texas. Well, like these, um, well, so they were saying like companies are moving to Texas. Like everyone was announcing from like 2015, 2018, like that kind of like period. Oh, we're like moving our headquarters mm-hmm. to Texas. Like we're opening a new plan in Texas. Blase, Plaza. And so like I had people pull me by the ear. Like these firms are following them. And these firms in Texas are hiring like crazy, like the Dallas offices were growing overnight. They were growing exponentially. Yep. But what did that mean from a practical standpoint? Well, what that meant was they were having larger summer classes. And in addition to having larger summer classes, just by the way of, you know, um, how ratios work, they had a larger one L class. So there were like one, more one L spots in these Texas firms than anywhere, you know, like, I would talk to our career center and they'd be like, "Yeah, we like one or two spots, Chicago, L.A., New York," and I'm like, "Ugh, I'm I'm a numbers girl, you know, like I like good statistics and I like a good yeah. probability." Um, so when I heard like the firms in Texas are hiring like five to six one-ls in their summer classes, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a no-brainer and no state income tax." I'm your girl. So um, that was like kind of like a strategic decision on my part at the time. So Lee Austin was participating in this diversity program. Um, I'm sorry, I applied for that. And I got it. And I did like, you know, the normal come in, do your screener. And then we come back and you do the callback and you do like a whole day of like eight rounds of interviews, you know, put you up in a hotel, fly you out, that whole thing. Um, but yeah, so that conventional in some degree, I guess. Um, And then I did my first summer at Sidley. Absolutely loved it. The other piece of advice I got was, and I get this can't work for everyone, right? And like, this is kind of like speaking from a place of privilege in a sense, like it's a privilege to even get that opportunity and have that um, first year summer like taken care of. But the best piece of advice I also got was, like, you do not want to do OCI because it's crazy. It's exhausting. I think the hardest part about getting a job in law school isn't, like, getting the job, right? Because it's easy to make someone fall in love with you in an interview, be cute, and be kind, super professional. You know, we all learn those tricks. But I think the hardest part is, like, being a law student, right, right? All the stress that comes with that, the classes, um, professors, stressing about that cold call the next day. But imagine doing that and like doing a million interviews simultaneously, you know, like flying all across the country to these different firms and then also trying to make sure you're staying on top of your readings. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? So like that is stressful, Yikes. unbelievably stressful. Yeah. And then like, as you guys know, you know, when you're a first year law student, and you're at your 1L summer job, you're using that summer to get the second summer job, right? If you're not staying at your firm. So it's like, on top of all that, you're also like interviewing, interfacing with people while you're trying to impress people to get an offer. And like, all of that was just, every like, single day. <laughs> exactly. That is like, hard like I commend yeah. the people who can do it but like the second best piece of advice I got was like you need to be working on like getting an offer a return offer so you don't need to like stress about OCI find a place that loves you that you love that you could see yourself there you know what I mean and for me that was Sidley yeah. um and so like I didn't even like do the whole 2L OCI I was kind of like I'm, I'm here to stay and I loved it
0: Okay, so did you, you've spent uh, your summer in Texas? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, in Dallas.
0: Okay, so how does that work? Because I, we both didn't do OCI or like have, you know, like a big law type of internship. So I'm really wondering when you get an out of state internship, like do they cover your living expenses or is that like part of the the compensation you get? Like how does that work? Because I'm always wondering like when people are moving for the summer, like how do they make it work?
2: Yeah. So I think it depends on the firm because I did have friends who like got a stipend for you know, an apartment or whatever, moving expenses. Cindy did not. I personally thought it was like included in my compensation because like you have like an inflated compensation, right? Like you're mm-hmm a bonafide intern, like, you know, absolutely nothing, you are not helpful to this firm. at all. Like, you're an idiot, right? Um, learning the practice of law, you took four, six, like, doctrinal 10 classes, and then you're going to do this, like, actual, like, practical experience. But anyway, so like, you guys know, like, mm-hmm. with, um, with big law, like, you're making like, almost like four grand a week, you know, so like, in a 10 week program, you're making like 40k. So like, to me, that my, um, yeah. <laughs> my moving expenses, my rent for the two and a half summers, I was there. That was, like, built in. Fortunately, I did have family in Dallas, and so, like, it was very easy to reach out to them. Um, I stayed with them, so I didn't, like, pay anything while I was there. Um, but, okay. yeah, so that, that's how it works for most people. But um, I think some firms do provide a stipend or something like that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Good to know. Good sense. to know.
1: And, you know, I'm sure I'm sure that's, you know, for anyone listening out there, definitely ask about that.
0: Yeah. I Especially if you're going to be going out of state.
1: Yeah, like if you're at Wash U and you're going to New York, like that's a big difference in rent, I'm assuming. Even Dallas, so golly. I no, yeah. Time, so. I, I
2: feel like something people don't talk about are, like, these high cost of living areas and, you know, how that can impact even, like, how your salary works for you, you know, pragmatically speaking. So I had a bunch of friends who were in the New York market and, you know, like even getting a New York apartment, like that crazy kind of lottery system. I mean, I just like don't understand it. People tell you like you need to start looking for an apartment for two weeks. That makes me anxious because I would be trying to look like three, four months in advance. Um, So, but yeah, like it's a whole... It's a whole process. I mean, and then I would have, like, public interest friends, and, like, the only thing they – the only assistance they'd have is, like, that, like, stipend that the school gives you, and I think at the time, like, Washies was, like, 3000 or something, and it's, like, can you imagine, like, you're working for free, and then you have to, like, figure out where you're going to live, you know what I mean, and you have no assistance whatsoever. Yeah. Like, I just – I commend you guys because I don't get it at all. Like, I <laughs> unbelievably hard
1: yeah no totally well thank you so much for sharing that because I think that is definitely going to be of interest to a lot of our listeners out there but let's talk about Sidley Austin I mean you loved it you stayed there throughout law school and now you work there you know what made you fall in love with it
2: so I think Sidley and Sidley Dallas like is an anomaly in the legal field and I think so for two reasons one we're like the only top firm right now led by a person of color and a woman of color um that's huge and then two Mm -hmm. I think like I don't know the crazy stat but like I think the Dallas office in Sidley is like one of the most like has, like, the highest concentration of women partners in the country or something like that. Like, I think over 50% of our partners in that office are women. Like, it's a woman-run firm, but it's also a woman-run office. So, of course, that was, like, unbelievably attractive to me. And, like, having Mm -hmm. these women who, like, one, are moms, like, two, are just – understand like how it is being a woman coming through such a competitive field like this and then who pour and invest into the women under them who are coming up and going to be the next generation so like I joke with my friends all the time, but like I've gotten like used to being on a team of women and I didn't realize like how unusual that was like where like the handling partner, the billing partner, you know, the senior associate, the managing associate, like it's all women, like just a team of women like taking down people and like just being like cutthroat and amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I would like talk to my friends who would be like, like I don't have any women on my matter. Like I don't work. I don't have anyone on my team who looks like me. And I would just be like, I hate that for you. Like, I can't even imagine, like, I love coming in the office and, like, everyone looks super cute. Like, oh, my God, who are you wearing? Like, comparing notes. Stop! Like, we have these women events. Like, we just had our um, our Sibley Dallas women's retreat. And, like, we went to one of the partners' lake houses. We were getting, like, mani petties. You know, we had some catered. And it was just, like, I love this. Like, I feel seen. I feel valued. I feel, you know, like, I can do anything. And I have Everything. these powerhouse, amazing, phenomenal women who are acting as my mentors and pouring as much as they can into me. So, like, Sibley Dallas was an easy choice. I mean, like, and I tell people all the time, um, I was actually just at this Wash U alum event the other day, and we were having a conversation about culture, right? And, like, how all these big law firms are selling culture, culture, culture. And it's like, I don't feel like culture exists. You know, like, if you were to ask me, like, what's the culture of Sibley Austin, I'd be like, "Mm, what do you mean? (laughs) But I mean, like, generally speaking, like, what, it's like a Midwestern firm, like, people are generally nice and stuff, like, but what's really the culture, like, the culture is like, your people, the people in your office, the people who you see every day, the relationships and bonds that you formed, you know, which is why it's a unique experience. I'm having the time of my life. I'm loving everything. People are pouring into me and there could be someone else, you know, in the same office, not having that same experience. Does that mean that my, does that negate my experience? Does it negate theirs? No, of course not. But Mm -hmm. it's such a unique individualized experience. And finding a big law firm, finding a firm, period, an organization, not-for-profit, whatever you might be interested in, is about finding people who will root for you, finding your people, right? People who will pour into you, people who want to get you to the next level, people who, when you tell them your dreams and your Mm -hmm. aspirations, they say, hey, I know this person or you should really do this or get this opportunity to get there. you know and I was just fortunate to find that so early if I hadn't I would probably be doing 2L OCI and I might be at a different firm but (laughs) yeah yeah that
0: literally okay everything you just explained like oh my gosh sounds so awesome like if I were to have a firm one day that's exactly how I would want to run it and like it just sounds like amazing and I'm really happy that you're having that experience because Mm -hmm. like you said it can be so different for everybody Cult- culture wise right but mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're having a great experience and honestly that's probably going to tell some people that like okay big lies is all that bad no, like yeah. you know like it can Literally. be I'm sure it can be terrible yeah. at some places yeah. but
2: yeah the good no, does I- exist I was just on um, above the law the other month and we were having that same exact conversation. Like I was an above the law junkie when I was in law school, you know, like refreshing every single day. Mm -hmm. Like what's the latest gossip? What's the news? But I remember being so anxious about beginning this career because I feel like All we really talk about when it comes to big law are, like, the horror stories. And I 100% recognize, like, it's important for an awareness standpoint. It's important to just, like, kind of build yourself up and know what you're getting into. Have the tough conversations with family members, friends, you know, your partner if you have one. I totally recognize the value from that, and I don't want to take away from that. But also what we're doing simultaneously, I think we're filling these law students up with anxiety and almost, like, equipping them to fail in some regard like if you only tell someone like the bad stuff about an industry about a career that's all they're gonna like they're gonna be filled with negativity and they're gonna go into this realm and not know how to thrive not know what are the good things to look out for you know like you know there's that whole conversation right now, like on TikTok, about green flags. Like, what are the green flags about Big Law? You know, like, what are the things that happen yeah. or can happen there that like make you and make you know this is the place to be? You're valued, you can stay here, you know, you're good. And I mean, that first and foremost is why I started my um scholarship or co-founded my scholarship, Bridging the Gap Scholarship, you know, with that whole idea of, like, demystifying the whole law school admissions process, corporate law, what all that entails, and, like, changing the rhetoric in some regards so it's not this, like, super heavy negative thing, and it's more positive and empowering. And, you know, the idea is paying it forward, helping the next one come through and have a great experience like you did yourself.
0: Oh, I love it. And because, and also I think because you had that great experience, like mm-hmm. when your partner one day, like you're going to pay it back to the people below you and like, you're going to take them to your lake house and get the, give them mini pennies, you know? And it's like, um, it's just really nice to see like that it, it can, it, it can be good because you're right. You hear so much of the negativity. I mean, a lot of people that we have talked to about big law, you know, have left big law because of their experiences. Um. But, you know, people usually like to talk about the bad things, not the good things. So, It's true. People do like to talk about... Yeah.
2: And I was just going to say, like, sometimes, like, that experience is real. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes people just have the worst... I have close friends who their experience has been just night and day. And like, I, like I cry with them. Like I mourn with them and I, I feel so bad that they didn't get the opportunity to experience a firm like I have, you know what I mean? And so like, I I don't ever want to discount those experiences because they are real. And I do think there are some, you know, systemic issues, plaguing big law, corporate law, you know, corporate America in general. There's a lot of things that we could do better. Um, But I just want to like almost put a megaphone to my mouth and, you know, find joy in the great experiences and uplift some of those stories. I love that.
0: Yeah. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about your scholarship?
2: Yeah. Yes. Sure. So um, the way it was started is I I love this story because I think this is what makes Bridging the Gap Scholarship unique and what makes it, I think, just such a powerful organization. So when I was a first-year law student, me and three other WashU first-years, like we recognized the issue right we recognize the fact that there is an information gap people are coming into law school not even knowing like the myriad of legal industries practice areas that you can get into and what does that mean we were talking to people who had no idea what big law was, had no idea, like, what we were talking about earlier, Samantha, like, how much you can make in these 10 weeks. How do you get there? What does that process look like? Even the fact of how, like, advantageous it was that they were out of school, like Wash U, like, they didn't put that together or even recognize that. And, like, that's yeah. an inequity in some regard, right? Um, and I felt like it was this illusion of choice, I was meeting people who were going into certain industries, just because they didn't know about the other opportunities that awaited them, right? They didn't know that, oh, if I go to a certain law school, it's easier for me to be at a certain firm, because those firms are specifically targeting, you know, top 20 law schools, and they're coming on their campuses to recruit those particular law students. And just by being in the room, more likely to be at a firm like x or y than at another right like people didn't know that and so because of that i would see people who you know weren't in an economic position to take you know three thousand in a summer and have to also figure out how they were going to pay for their living expenses and housing and things of that nature just because they were Misinformed or not informed whatsoever, you know, ignorant of the fact. And so we started Bridging the Gap Scholarship with this pay it forward mentality. And so because we had these resources, we were able, we were poured into someone literally paved the path for us and told you step one, step two, step three, we were going to do the same for the next generation. I remember talking to one of my co founders and she was saying, you know, like, with 40000 like, I could pay off my mom's mortgage with that. You know what I mean? And, like, for me, like, things were just, like, clicking. Like, this is, like, this is wrong. There's a problem here. And I was so frustrated. Um, so, anyway, so first um, scholarship class, we all took $1,000 from our big law, summer associate positions, and we said we're going to give it to the next generation. So we had this whole application process, um, and we selected four um. Minority pre-law students who are looking to go into the top twenty law schools, we help them with um, LSAT prep. So we got them an LSAT prep class. We um, assisted with the admissions process. You know, like just consulting. This is how you do a personal statement. This is how you do a diversity statement. And then like kind of just held their hand through that entire process. And like each of them went off and did remarkable things. So our first class, they were at Georgetown, Wash U, Cornell, um, Penn Law. And like all of them now are just like, they're all about to graduate this year. And it makes me sad, but um, they're all off doing amazing, phenomenal things. And so we're actually about to have our applications open in January for our 2023 class, um, But now we're just trying to, like, grow and kind of, like, duplicate what we've done before. And if nothing else, make this awareness so that people know, people who are interested, pre-law students, even high school students who might not even really be thinking of law school, so that they know, so that they can make strategic decisions to potentially be in a certain field if they want the opportunity to be there. Absolutely.
0: I love that. Yeah. Okay, so question. So you said that applications open up in January. Mm-hmm. So is there a way for the listeners if they're interested to apply?
2: Absolutely. You can apply on our website, Gap Um, We're also on Instagram at BTG Scholarship. So we'll be posting updates on there. Um, but if you want to go to the website and just like read a little bit more about BTG and, you know, what our purpose is, our mission. You can find all of that information online.
0: Perfect. I think a, you're probably going to get um, a large handful of applications after this episode goes live. Well so I would hope That's so. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Because I, I, I think it's amazing what you're doing. Yes. I was about to say that.
1: Imani, props to you, props to your co-founders. I mean paving the way forward is absolutely something that we here at Ladies who Law School want to also do. So this is such a great opportunity for our listeners and just our community to, you know, lean into the potential mentoring from from amazing women like you guys and you know, just going back to your amazing firm life, you really are paving it forward because we are the next generation. Of lady lawyers and we gotta pay it forward to our our future amazing people out there
2: yeah totally agree
0: I love it thank you so much for coming yes thank you so much and if anyone wants to reach out to you personally um where can they reach out to you
2: so I'm on Instagram too um you can just type in my name at imani ma tuka and I'll pop up So yeah, feel free to reach out to me. Um, This is one of my passions, of course. You know, I have a ton of mentees who are not BTG scholars. So if there's any way I can help you get to the next stage in your career, I would love to do so.
0: Love it. You heard it here first, guys. Definitely reach out. Thanks, Moni. Thank
2: you so much. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Wow guys, I can't believe that she works at the same law firm as the Obamas worked at. That's just crazy. And you know, I love hearing her talk about how she ended up in Dallas at this firm because right, like this is an Am 100 firm and the Obamas worked there in Chicago. Like this firm's in every big city, but when it moved to Dallas, she realized that there was such an opportunity there and she capitalized on it and obviously she's a very, very, very smart woman. But with all that, I mean, she's still so young and has so much to learn. And I cannot wait to see where she goes in life.
0: And I especially think that at her specific Dallas office, um, she's going to have a lot of potential to grow just given like. The culture of that office and Mm -hmm. like the demographics, which honestly, like if we were to have a firm one day, we'd probably want to run it the same as that Dallas office. Um, So yeah, I I thought it was right. Um, So yeah, it was really great talking to her and we are planning on doing a little Instagram live closer to when her application for her scholarship opens up. So any of you guys who want to know more about that or apply, um, yeah, we'll have more information very soon.
1: You know, and I also think it's so cool. You know, like you said, she's not a first-gen lawyer, but when she went to law school, she realized that there was a gap there. That even though she was a child of privilege, that she could still help. And that is what her scholarship is doing. And honestly, it inspired us to even think about doing a scholarship like that, because it's true, guys. It's so expensive to take the LSAT, to apply for law school, to be in law school, and then take the bar and keep your license regular. It's just an expensive profession, and that can be a huge deterrent, and we don't want that anymore. So... Please, please, please join our live with Imani in January. We're really excited for to talk more about the bridging the gap scholarship, and you know have maybe one of our listeners potentially be uh, a scholarship winner.
0: Yes, and after we got off the record with Imani, we were talking for like I think thirty minutes, just going yeah. off on like all of the things that we think are problematic in law The patriarchy. Right? So I'm sure that if you guys want a taste of that conversation, the Instagram live will definitely be a little bit more casual like that. And if you guys have any questions, like go to the Instagram live and we'll answer them right there. So
1: With her. Yeah. And also reach out to her. She is a great, great person to, you know, be a potential mentor. So... If you are interested in talking to her, I know she would be more than thrilled to talk with you guys as well.
0: yep, so we'll have her Instagram and her LinkedIn in the show notes and anywhere else you can find her.'m Sure, if you just look her up she's she'll be the first girl to pop up, but yeah, um, yeah, we'll link her regardless and of course, guys, if you liked this episode. Leave a review, subscribe, you know, every review helps us help you.
1: And the biggest compliment you can ever give us is referring our podcast to a friend. All right, guys, well, we will talk to you again next week. We love you so much and we hope that finals are going well and that you're getting ready for the holidays and that you're taking a much needed rest and relaxational break.
0: Yes. And, you know, if you want to keep up with our bar studies uh, part two, follow our Instagram at Ladies Who Law School Podcast. We'll be intermittently posting on there when we can. Um, I'm sure you guys are interested to know what we're doing differently this time around. All right, guys, we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.